Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. We only have one more sermon in that particular series, and then we're going to start a brand new one uh, called He Said What? Uh, the Things of Jesus from Matthew 7. And so I'm excited about uh, that sermon series, but as we continue to uh, move forward in our uh, previous sermon series, that ends next week. And then today, obviously, being Mother's Day, uh, sometimes I don't do special uh, sermons for or messages for that day, but this, this year I'm going to because I think it's, uh, it kind of goes along with some things that are happening now. And I... I, I think that you'll see some strong parallels uh, based on what the Word of God says and what's happening in our world today. And so, interestingly, uh, I put this sermon together many, many years ago, but have never actually done anything with it, and I had to modify it a little bit uh, this past uh, few weeks, and God was pretty clear that He wanted some things uh, mentioned, and so we're going to do that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, and then hold your finger there. And then go all the way back to the New Testament in the, uh, toward the back of the Bible uh, and look at Hebrews chapter 11. So Exodus 2 and Hebrews 11. And you will find that these two passages uh, parallel one another greatly because the writer of Hebrews talks about this passage uh, and the person here in Exodus 2. And so in Exodus 2, at the beginning in verse 1, you'll find that this is the story of the birth of Moses, and I think probably most of you know exactly who Moses is. But look at what happens here, and then we'll go and get into the meat and potatoes of this thing in the Hebrews. In chapter 2, we find, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she said, go. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to be Pharaoh's daughter, or she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And so now we want to move over to Hebrews uh, chapter 11 and scroll down to verse 23. 
And we'll find that the writer of Hebrews here, who I, you know, believe to be the Apostle Paul, you can believe it is whoever you want. Uh, either way, uh, he begins to talk about the faith of Moses, and before that, Moses' mother and father, his parents. And we don't know a lot about his parents, but there is some biblical uh, teaching on it. There is some biblical uh, information on it, and plus we have other types of information that we get. Nevertheless, I want you to take a quick look at this. And so we find, as we scroll down to verse 23, the writer says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's, king's edict or command. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, I find this passage remarkable in a variety of ways. As we look back to the hand of God upon Moses' life, even at his birth, going through uh, this, this uh, travel down the Nile and being hid from the king's edict, and, and then it just so happens the Pharaoh's daughter came out and, and accepted a slave girl talking to her and approaching her, and then, then you know, saying, go get one of the Hebrew women, and then, you know, I'll take him as my son. You can see the hand of God all over this. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that God did this. And so I, I want to share a couple things with you. To me, the most powerful and influential force on the earth today is the faith of a godly mother. And we could say it's for godly parents altogether. And I know this is Mother's Day, but I'm really going to uh, address parents here today. And so uh, as I do that, there, godly parents are, are something that we just cannot take lightly. It's very important. In Hebrews 11, God lists the heroes of faith. If you, if, if you keep on going down through this, and, or, and then, or you go back a little bit before it, you'll find that God lists in this passage all the heroes of the past, the heroes of faith. And this includes uh, the mother of Moses. Now, Exodus 6 tells us that her name was Hilkabed, with a J, Hilkabed. The name Hilkabed means Jehovah is glorious. So she had a name that was very fitting for a woman who would be a woman of faith. Now, in the eyes of the world, Hilkabed was just a hopeless Hebrew slave in Egypt. But she raised up a son who we know shook the world. He was massive in the movement of the Israelite people and in their history. Hilkabed raises Moses by faith. I know that because the Scripture tells us that she did. So when God has a, a big job or a big uh, plan for us, something He wants us to do, faith has to be part of it because that's what starts it, that's what finishes it, and that's what takes care of everything in between because the enemy is going to do everything he can to keep you from starting, to keep you from finishing, and everything in between to complete it. He will be there, and you know He will be there. I've watched it. You've watched it. We've all seen it. 
We've seen him attack people, the heroes of faith in the scripture. We've seen him attack people that we know, and we've seen him attack ourselves. We've seen him try to thwart ministries in our churches. We've seen him try to keep people from coming to Christ. We've seen him try to, try to put a bubble on our faith so it, it's not as powerful as it should be. And we've seen him help to place doubt in our minds and our hearts and all a way around us. That's his aim. And do you think it began with you and me? No, it did not. And so that's interesting that we find that faith has to be a part of anything we might do. And according to Jesus in chapter 9 of Matthew, look for it. Expect it. Notice that Hilkabed did what she did, not because of any other reason other than her faith. It, it can't be according to our, our fame. It can't be a part of our popularity, our feelings, our fortune, our friends, nothing but faith. In fact, the most influential people in the world, as I said before, are usually your parents. Now, our mothers more so, seems to be sometimes, but a godly father is powerful. So understand, we're talking about mothers today, even though we might sprinkle some dads in here as well. So a couple ideas that I have here I want to share with you. Number one, faith has spiritual vision. Faith has spiritual vision. In fact, faith with vision sees promises in the Word of God. Faith with vision sees and latches onto the promises in the, world, in the Word of God. And I have to tell you, that's where my faith comes from, that I can see the promises in the Word of God. And when my faith begins to waver, when I go back in the Word of God and I see the promises that God has made to me there, that He's made to you, that He's made to you, that He's made to all of us, that strengthens me. And I think, wow, that makes my faith soar, especially when I see the things that God promises coming into fruition in my life when I just relinquish my control, surrender myself to Him, and watch Him do what only He does. For me, that's a big bite. That's, that's something to latch on to. In fact, God's Word is completely chock full of promises to mothers, in fact, to all of us. The phrase, a beautiful child or a special child, however your particular passage of Scripture is translated, in this passage, it means that Moses was a very special child and his parents knew it. But every parent thinks their child is special. In fact, of all my children, of all my grandchildren, they're all special in different ways, mind you, but they all are. And we see things in them that perhaps others don't. Now, I've, I've done, I did one funeral uh, a number of years ago when I was a pastor at Sunlight Fellowship Wesleyan Church in, in South Bend. Uh, and I worked for uh, McGann uh, Funeral Homes uh, part-time, and Pat McGann was a good friend of mine, and, and being, he liked to, he liked to uh, hire pastors because uh, pastors could uh, do two things. Uh, they're, they're the kind of people you want working a visitation because people might be grief-stricken, they might uh, need some counseling or need to talk to somebody, and who better than a pastor or a priest to be there working at the funeral home? And so he would do that, we would do that, um, and and also, he liked it because sometimes families would come in for a funeral and didn't, weren't churched, weren't Christians, or didn't, and they needed somebody to do a funeral for them. And so he liked having pastors on staff where he could do that. And I remember doing a funeral, funeral a number of years ago, uh, and I went to the visitation, and there weren't very many people at it. Uh, and I remember, some of you have heard this before, but I remember talking 
to the guy's brother, um, and I said, boy, there aren't very many people here. He said, well, no, my brother was no good. He didn't have any friends. Nobody, my, my, our family didn't like him. He was horrific. And I said, wait a minute. I, I can't hardly do a funeral for somebody you can't tell me something good about. I got to be able to, you know, uh, eulogize this guy's life. So, you know, tell me some good things about him. Tell me, tell me some things, you know, that, that really that would bring a smile to your face that people would have enjoyed. So tell me some good things. And this is no kidding. He looked down at his brother and said, no, I can't. He was no good. And I think, wow. So nobody found something special in this guy. And I wonder if when this child was born, if his parents looked at him and said, he's special. Because I know God did. He might, not, he might not have ended up that way, but God sees all of those who are created in the womb as special. And I don't know any parent that doesn't find their child special. He was a beautiful child. And his parents didn't see him through ordinary eyes. One translation says that God had given them an unusual child. Now, you could, you could look at unusual and translate that in a variety of different ways. It might mean unusual being not so good, and it could mean unusual meaning away from the pack, different and exciting, or somewhere in between. Either way, Moses' parents saw their child through the eyes of faith and through the Word of God. They saw that he was unique, and they loved him for that. You see, no one can have faith, my friends, aside or outside, apart from the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. You can't have faith outside of the Word of God. The Word of God is what strengthens your faith. The Word of God is what shows you your faith, and it's what helps you to get back on the bandwagon of faith when it starts to waver or it begins to have doubt. The Word of God cannot be apart from your faith. That's impossible. And I've known a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and I'm not hammering on somebody. Please don't hear me say that. But I've known a lot of people who claimed to be Christians, and they claim to have faith, but it didn't come from here. It came from their feelings. Well, I, I have to tell you, my feelings change from day to day sometimes. They are not steadfast. They are not constant. It depends on the situation you're in. And let's face it, if you try to live your Christianity on your feelings alone, when you're not doing so well in your feelings, you've got nothing to anchor into. But in the Word of God, is always our anchor. It's always truthful. It's always there. It's always right. And it will never fail you. Why? Because it's God's Word. Your feelings are not. So let's be honest about that, see. And so... Look at these people. The Scriptures prophesied that the children of Israel would be in the land of Egypt for 400 years, and then God would rise up a leader to take them out of this bondage, out of this slavery, and begin them on their journey to not only uh, freedom and independence, but in their journey to bring about the tribes of Israel, which would bring about from there the Savior of the world. God did that, and it started way back then. It's very likely that Moses' mother knew he could be the one. Maybe the Holy Spirit even told her so. We don't know. But she went to great lengths at great personal sacrifice and danger to herself and her family 
including Miriam, his sister, to do this. And yet, we all know to us, every child is special. And none of us knows what our children might do in the kingdom of God or how God might use them. I don't know that we'll have another Moses, but we might have another Billy Graham or another hero of the faith. You see, every child has a wonderful plan laid out for them by the will and the purpose of God, whether we want to believe that or not. And that's why abortion is such an atrocity. It's such an atrocity. Because all we can see is what they won't have or what we can't do. And all God sees is what He can do and what they might be. You see. Now, this isn't Sanctity of Life Sunday. But it's clear as we get down through this that Moses' parents could have made a different decision. We'll talk about that in a minute. Every child is the object of God's love. Psalm 112, David says, Lord, blessed are those who fear the Lord, find great delight in His commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. I love that scripture. Psalms 112, 1 to 2. Write that down. When your faith wavers as it relates to your family and children, remember that. And when people say to me, I just don't know if I can bring another child into the, this world today. Well, read that. Because God didn't tell you not to do that. God didn't tell us to stop populating the earth. And until He does, we're to do what He said to do. That's between you and God. I'm simply saying. As parents, we should strive to live upright lives so that our children are going to be blessed. The Scripture says, the Bible is clear that children are a gift from God, and we need to look to them and at them as a bundle of potential. This is what Moses' parents did. But children are going to have to be developed, friends. You can't just have them say, oh, here you go. Knock yourself out. Because if you don't develop them, somebody else will. That's a fact. And, and I, I, can, I can tell you, and I can show you, and I can talk to, to uh, uh, professionals that will tell you that they can see the difference in a child that is developed and trained and a child that is not. It's massive. The chasm is far too wide. It should never happen. And let's face it, some people should never be parents. But if you are one, you have a responsibility. That's what God is trying to say. You see, nobody is born a great person. They have to be made a great person by a mother and father's faith and their prayers and careful and diligent instruction. And I'm thankful when one who doesn't have that turns out to be great. But more times than not, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Okay? And let's face it, too. You look at children who are wildly successful and grow up to be great people, chances are they had godly parents. Not always, but chances are. And my question is, I wonder what would have happened if they didn't have godly parents. I wonder what would have happened if they didn't have instruction and nurturing. Well, who knows how they would have turned out. And likewise, what would have happened in a child that doesn't turn out well, like that guy in the casket that was no good? What would have happened had he had good, godly nurturing? See, we don't know for sure. The rest of the family turned out pretty well, so I don't know. But I wonder if he didn't get enough of it, or maybe he just decided on, on his own. I don't know. But I do know that there are an awful lot of children out there that could have been a lot better had they had the nurturing. That's a fact. So faith has spiritual vision. Secondly, faith has spiritual venture. You might want to say adventure. 
But I like venture. You venture into things. You see, faith with venture turns promises into action. It's absolutely not enough, my friends, for us to just say that we're going to trust our children to the Lord and say a prayer over them. The verb hid in this passage shows us that when Moses' parents had faith, they did something about it. You see, true faith has to have action in it or it's not faith at all. You, you can say, I have faith. In fact, Paul says, you show me faith and I'll show you action. Your, your words mean nothing without action. That's what he's talking about. When Jochebed and Amram, who was Moses' father, had Moses, they hid him for three months rather than let the authorities know that this baby boy had been born, you see. And they had faith that they did all that they could to spare the life of this child. And so Jochebed and Amram had, had a possibility of three responses here. Three responses they, they, they could have made. One was fatalism. They could have said, well, what will be will be. What can we do about it? Today, we would probably say, well, you know, it is what it is. I can see somebody saying that. I can see somebody, um, I'm not saying you and I would, but I'm saying there are people in the world today that if the government came out and said every single uh, baby boy is going to be murdered, is going to be killed because we don't need any more of them for whatever reason. And I can see somebody saying, well, you know, it is what it is. It's the government. What are we going to do? Somebody would do that. I'm telling you. It is what it is, is our cliche today. I don't even know what that means. I use it even. I don't know what it means. To me, it, it is what it is might be true, but maybe things aren't what they ought to be. <laughs> the way things are shouldn't be what they are. And we've got to be smarter than that and godly enough to know the difference. Okay? Moses' parents did. I mean, they could have said that they were just trusting God, and it was His will, and if, they, if God wanted to spare Moses, then He would spare him, and if God wanted him, wanted him to die, then He would just die. How silly is that? This is the same thing that people today who refuse to go to the doctor when they're sick, and instead they just say, well, you know, if God wants me to be healed, then I'll be healed. And Jesus warned us about this sort of thinking in Matthew 9, 12, which is why there's nothing wrong. In fact, you should go to medical professionals. I think we have to be smart. God helps them who help themselves. That's not biblical. It's not scriptural. But I think the concept is. You know? I mean, we have other cliches we say. You know, uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. That's not in the Bible. But the concept is, you see. So I do believe that God helps those who help themselves. Do you? I mean, God will help you when you, I mean, what would happen if the, when the Israelites were moving forward, you know, after Moses died and Joshua took over, what would have happened if God said, you know, Joshua, uh, step into the Jordan and cross it? What if the priests would not have done so? What if they were afraid to step into the water? Well, it never would have parted. The water didn't part. The Jordan didn't stop flowing until the people stepped in, in faith. Because God said so. You see? And to me, the opposite is, if they hadn't done it, God would have left them right on that side of the Jordan. That's the point. Some say that they're just going to trust God to feed them. Again, Jesus and Paul are clear in Matthew 6 and 2 Thessalonians 3 that God 
helps those who put their faith into action. We can say that we're going to trust our children to Jesus, but then we're going to have to put our faith into action or it really isn't faith at all. And James, in James 2, radically is clear about this. And we need to understand that. You have to be a doer. Your faith requires something from you. Don't just sit back and say, oh, I'll just let God do it. Wow. What if Christ would have done that? What if Paul would have done that? I look at my life and think, what if I would have done that? I wouldn't be where I am today. You wouldn't be where you are today. None of us would. Fatalism. We live with it sometimes. We shouldn't. They could have, and they didn't. A second thing they could have done could have been fanaticism. And I, I think this one's important. This is the three Fs. I, I had to find words that go together with faith, you see. So that's why I'm looking for them. And so fanaticism. They could have taken uh, baby Moses and, and just thrown him into the Nile River and called upon the Lord to take care of him in an effort to show their faith. Well, God will take care of him, so let's just throw him in the water. How ridiculous is that? You don't, you don't ask God like that. You don't tempt God like that. You know, faith is one thing, but doing something stupid isn't wise. God, God never told us, you know, to throw ourselves off buildings to show our faith. God never told us, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, play chicken with a, with a semi to show our faith. God doesn't, God doesn't do that. That's fanaticism. It doesn't work. It's not faith. It's recklessness, you see. And the Bible tells us that God will not be mocked. Only true faith can bring about the hand of God, not trying to test Him with our fanaticism. I think, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to touch this today, but I think I, I probably ought. I'm not attacking somebody. But I'm going to tell you, here's what we're never going to do. You're never going to come in here and find me fooling around with poisonous snakes to see what God will protect me. It ain't going to happen. That's not faith. That's recklessness. It's fanaticism. Enough said. The last F of the three, fatalism, fanaticism, faith. Faith is the one we got to use here because only faith works. If we want our children to be mighty for God, then we better get to work. We better go to work. Moses' parents did something for little Moses. They often quoted, uh, the often quoted proverb for me is a good one to describe what they did. Proverbs 22, verse 6 in the New American Standard, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, NIV doesn't say train, uh, but the direct translation, the word is train. And, and I think that's important because the dictionary meaning of the word train is to, pre to prepare, to instruct, to drill, to form into proper shape, and to discipline for use. I think that's important. You see, we don't learn something merely by hearing about it. We have to be trained. Not only are we to teach our children, the Bible says that we are also to train them. Let's, let, let's talk about that. Because real faith, my friends, is belief with legs on it, with teeth in it. It takes a bite. It moves. It does something. There's a difference between training and teaching. Did you know that? Because as I looked at the two differences, I, I, thought, I, I looked up teaching, and I looked at every way there was, and I looked at training and training and, and, or, or to train, and I looked at every different way, and I found that there's, they're, they're similar, and they go together, but they're very different. And unfortunately, we might teach, but we don't necessarily train. You know, 
as parents, we might say, well, you know, do, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's teaching. That's not training. You're teaching them that what you're teaching them isn't what you practice. And that's, that's a bad thing. But if you practice what you're preaching, and you expect your preacher to do that, you expect your Sunday school teacher to do that, you expect people who are instructing you in the faith, you expect them to be the person that they're saying they are. And as a parent, shouldn't we be held to the same standard? Shouldn't we do what we force our children to do? I would think so. Now, are, are there exceptions to the rule? Yes, of course there are. Because some things are appropriate for adults or not for children. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, teaching and training are two different things. It, we can teach our children, but if we don't train them, somebody else can come along and teach them something different, this arbitrary or contrary. You understand? And the truth is, this really happens every day. People are teaching your children whether you know it or whether you like it or not. They're teaching them. They're training them. It's 50-50 which teaching they're going to grow up and live by, my friends. So I guess it kind of depends on how adamant you are about training them, isn't it? The more you train them, the better chance that proverb is going to come true. Amen? It's not worth the risk to me, and it shouldn't be to you. And I, I can tell you this. I told, I told my kids here recently, and Jessica for sure, I, and I told my wife this, I, I think I'm a much better grandparent than I ever was a parent. And you know why? The reason is because I've grown since then. In my spiritual faith, in my spiritual uh, usage, as well as in my experiential usage, I've grown, so I'm better. I think I would be a better parent today than I was back then. Don't wish that upon me. It ain't happening. However, <laughs> I think I would be for a variety of reasons. And if I could go back in my life and change some things, with my, I would. So would you. But I don't want to dwell on the past. I want to dwell on what's coming up. And so I continue to train my children and my grandparents or and, my, and my grandchildren. Sometimes I mean to and sometimes I don't. But I still do it based on who I am. And they wouldn't respect me if I said one thing and did something else. And let me tell you something. They would know. The people that are closest to me would know. And the people closest to you would know. What would they say about you at your funeral? What would they say about you? Were you the person you said you were? Or were you somebody else? Friends, you can't be the person you want to be unless you choose to be. And I choose Christ. And I choose who he's called me to be because it's the best thing for me. And you know what? I love the changes he has made in me, what he continues to do. Anybody? See, this is it. When you train your children, it becomes part of their lives. Faith has spiritual venture. Thirdly, faith has valor. <laughs> and valor is interesting because it's not courage. Uh, valor may come from courage, but valor is, comes from the root word of valiant. He's a valiant Christian or a valiant person. You see, the king issued a command, a decree. The king ordered all the baby boys to be killed, but Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's commandment. The Bible says they weren't, they weren't afraid of it. He was wrong. They knew he was wrong. It wasn't... It wasn't Godly. It wasn't morally correct. It was, it was self-centered because he didn't want somebody to take over his position. 
And so he said, let's, let's just kill them all. This is the devil act. This is the, de- this is the devil because the devil knew that down the line from this, this action, the Messiah would come. He knew. And so this has got Lucifer all over it, friends. And so Moses' family lived during dangerous days. And I would say that we are living in dangerous times. Nothing's changed. Same devil, different day. I mean, you know, we've said it for years a different way than that. (laughs) Same stuff, different day, right? But I want to say same devil, different day. Amen? Because he is. In fact, he's more powerful today than he was back then because there's more people to follow him. And we have, he has more control on our society than he did then. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute because it's huge. And if you think that's not true, <laughs> I would ask you to step back and ask the Lord about that. Because I'll bet you he'll tell you, yes, indeed, he has more control. Because the more people there are and the more control he has, the more powerful in society he is. It's a fact. Can't get away from it. Number don't lie. I think we're afraid of the government's decrees today. And I get it in other nations where maybe they're not free. But in a free society with the liberties that we have, that's kind of shocking, especially since our nation was built on Christian principles in the Bible itself. But you know why we're afraid of the government today? Because we're getting away from it. That's why. We're getting away from what our nation was founded upon, and of course, we're going to be afraid of the government's decrees. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and, and uh, hold up the hand and be defiant, to be unlawful. I'm not telling you that. That would be ungodly. That would be unbiblical to do that, and I won't do that. But I think we ought to, ought to understand the difference here. The Bible teaches us that when the governmental authorities go against the commands or the laws of God, then they're no longer valid and they're no longer lawful. Because God's dominion, His law, is higher than any government on the earth, past, present, or future. And as a Christian, you have to believe that. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. That means you don't believe that God is supreme over the government. And you, you, you must. You must. And I began to think about that, and I thought, well, I wonder if we have the spiritual courage to stand against such commands as the parents of Moses did. Can you imagine if your government said, well, listen, you know, uh, we don't think we need any more boy babies, so every, every single one of them, parents and authority, you, 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 you have to kill them all. What would you do? Now, maybe it wouldn't come to that, but what about other things? What would you do? Don't we, don't we have, aren't we commanded to have discernment about what's biblical and godly and what is not? Of course we do. Even in the military. Even, even as, a, as an enlisted sergeant and below that. And even when I was a, a, an officer, as a captain. I had to make decisions. You know? Uh, are all orders valid and absolute? No, they're not. And I had to make a moral decision of whether I would follow the orders given me if they were not valid or not moral. I praise the Lord it never happened. And I hope as a captain and as a commander, I never gave invalid or immoral orders because they shouldn't be expected to follow them. And neither should the government 
do such a thing, particularly one that's founded, again, on the principles of the Holy Word of God, as it is. We've gotten away from it, unfortunately, and more so each day, but it was founded there, and nobody can dispute that because we can prove it all day long. So, my friends, Paul says in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, you can see through this pandemic and other historical precedents, and I wonder if we would stand against tyrannical decrees if they were offered to us. And I'm not saying the stay-at-home order is tyrannical. I'm not saying it's wrong. In fact, it's probably wise. But some people have taken it to the next level and become fanatical with it. And there's got to be balance here. I think we need to be wise. I think we need to be smart. And I think we have to be obedient. I get it. I'm not against it. I think it's, I think it's wise, and it is. But if the government came down and said, you will no longer, until we say so, meet as a congregation, that's tyrannical. <laughs> okay? That's tyrannical. That's fanatical. It's not going to happen. Okay? And what if they were testing the waters to see if they could get away with that? I'm not preaching against our government. I'm not at all. And I don't want you to think that I am. I'm not. I'm simply saying, I see what Moses' parents did. What the king did was wrong. It was tyrannical. It was immoral. And they stood. This isn't about what's going on now. This is about the depth of our spirituality. Now, Paul uses the Greek word epikindianos, epikindianos, which is translated difficult in the NIV. Remember 2 Timothy, the last day, difficult times will come. But it actually means perilous, perilous. This word is used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's translated extremely dangerous extremely dangerous. Friends, we are living in extremely dangerous days. We have liberalism in our churches. Now, I don't, don't, I'm not being political. Don't you say that because I'm not. I'm simply saying we're, we're, we're using liberal precedent that comes only from Satan, okay, to change our churches. And what do I mean by that? Many of our churches have become liberal in the fact that they doubt the Bible, they're empty of faith, and they deny Christ. That's happening. We should have our children in Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching churches that are Christ-honoring, they're biblically conservative, that take a stand for faith. How do I know? Jude 1.3 says so. Go right there and see it. In fact, we should never put our children in a church that doesn't believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God that does not believe that Jesus Christ is the virgin son born of God, and that doesn't believe in the blood atonement of Christ, that doesn't believe in the second coming of Christ. In a, or in a church that doesn't teach biblical and moral value systems. We shouldn't do it. But more likely, here's what we'll do. Well, they, they don't, they don't want to go here to church because, well, it's more fun over here or they, they have this over there, or their friends are there. That's why you're going to send your kid to a church? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, friends. Who's the parent? When, when I've had parents uh, come into church and all of a sudden teenagers don't come with them anymore, I say, well, where, where's so-and-so? Well, they didn't want to come today. They didn't, huh? Who's the parent? You have responsibility. Now, my children 
can look back at their life and say, you know, Dad didn't do everything right. And I, I didn't. But I'll tell you what I did do right. I didn't care what they had going on. Unless they were sick or had to be somewhere else that day for one, and it didn't happen often, they were in church. That was my responsibility to the Lord. And my wife used to tell them, you can hate us for loving you, for doing the right thing by you. We're commanded by the Lord. He's entrusted you to us, and we will do the right thing as we understand it by Him. So your children should not influence where you or they go to church. You know why? Because they can't know what's best for them. In any place you go, and I don't care where it is as long as you go, as long as it teaches these things we just talked about. Go and find out what they're teaching, find out what they're not teaching, and realize whether or not it's a godly church or it isn't. Therein lies your clues. Friends, we have humanism in our schools. And humanism is camouflage in a way that says it's really atheism. Humanism is atheism. Now, let me explain that. You see, friends, voluntary prayer is under attack in our schools. Has been for a long time. Evolution can be taught, but creationism cannot. I'll explain that. In fact, many people claim that creationism isn't taught because it's religious. And yet, evolution is religion in reverse. Explain that to me. It's trying to explain everything apart from God. In fact, amoral sexual, sexual education is now taught in our schools, and they're trying to even do it here in Vico County. Sex education that is taught apart from the biblical value system is only going to work for harm and not for good, and I don't care whatever the people say or think. I don't care what they think or say. I know what the Word of God says to me. And you know what? My life was a wreck before the Word of God. And since the Word of God, man, what a difference. Now, who, who could say that's not true? So, no, I'm sorry. The value system the society wants to push upon us and our children, whether it's about sexual education or anything else, is Luciferianism. It is devil-bound and devil-taught because that's what it is. When Christ comes, either in Him or you're not, in or out. In this life, you either follow Christ or you don't. And if you don't follow Christ, who are you following? It's real simple. Our society is also consumed with pleasure. Alcohol, tobacco, drugs, they spend billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. And listen, now I'm not telling you that drugs aren't good. Illegal drugs aren't. But I mean, prescription drugs are good. But this is what gets me. When I watch television, and they come up with all these new drugs. Now, drug companies might want to help people, but by and large, they're in it to make money. You say what you want, but they do. And they'll tell you, have, use this drug because, and they show, show these people with this wonderful lifestyle, going to the beach and, and go with their family and do things. And, all these, and, they show all, and then the Bible says, uh, side effects might cause death. <laughs> well, gee whiz, what a great drug. Listen, I'm not preaching against drugs. What I'm saying is we ought to use our heads here. Okay? Advertising is advertising because it sells something. We're consumed with pleasure. And you want to get into the alcoholic industry, it is aimed at our youth. They want them to like it early on because they know in a lifetime a person could literally spend hundreds of thousands of dollars alone in that. And I'm not telling you having alcohol is bad. 
I'm simply saying it, it could be bad. Okay? Understand what I'm saying to you here. In the Wesleyan Church, we've eased restrictions. Okay? But that's not the point. I understand why our early church fathers didn't allow it. Because while it might not be bad, it isn't what's best. It impairs you. It does. And it gets you hooked. And if it does, what will it do to you? I've seen families destroyed by it. And you know what they do? They don't blame themselves. They blame the alcohol. Does Anheuser-Busch care? No. Does any company care? No. They don't care. Television sitcoms laugh at sexual perversion and all sorts of other types of things. Racial disparity, you name it. They laugh at it. And the devil knows that once we laugh at something, we can't take it seriously again. He knows it. Movies and music today, Hollywood, is filled with messages of promiscuity, suicide, rebellion, drugs, alcohol, you name it. They're filled with it. That's, that's how they get their high. That's how they, that's how they, they uh, get their escape from reality. And yes, suicide is becoming an escape from reality. Sure is. <laughs> sure is. Wow. But Moses' parents looked past the king of Egypt to the king of kings. <laughs> that's what they did. They were not afraid of the king's commandment, and neither should we be. We just have to use discernment that the edicts that we get are in line with the King of Kings, always. I mean, our nation was built on it, on the principles of it. Shouldn't we go back to it? Fourthly, faith has victory. God's servants weren't afraid of the devil in his crowd. Neither should we be. The devil has a crowd. Did you know that? He has a crowd. Hilkabed hid Moses for three months. When they could no longer hide him, they made a waterproof boat, and they placed him in the bulrushes of the Nile River. And his, his big sister Miriam, standing off to the side watching, and Pharaoh's daughter, accompanied by her, her entourage, came to the Nile to, to bathe. And you know the rest of the story. Friends, we can see the hand of God at work here. Pharaoh's daughter sees the boat, sees the baby, has compassion. He was crying. And God performed this amazing miracle by placing a bonding in her heart for this child. God did that. I know he did. This was a slave baby. She was taught to hate him. And the fact that Pharaoh allowed this blows my mind. <laughs> but the hand of God is more powerful than the hand of Pharaoh. Or anybody else for that matter. Anybody? And look how he worked it out. His own mother got to nurse him and got paid for it. <laughs> That's God. What a deal. Wow. And so his own mother took him back and nurses him for three months. And, and during that time, what do you think she did? Do you think she raised him in the way of Egyptians? Or do you think she raised him in the way of godliness. God gave victory. See, we don't have to be afraid of the devil. We don't have to be afraid of his crowd. God made a, a, a little boat and he made it into a battleship. He took a little boat and made it into a battleship to sink Pharaoh's kingdom because that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh and his kingdom later on 
went into the Red Sea and were wiped out like that. And the multitudes of the Israelites walked over on dry ground because God did that. And Moses was the reason why. Stunning, isn't it? Kilkabed was a woman of faith. We need to be people of faith. We need to believe God. We need to trust God. We need to be parents of faith day after day, here a little and there a little. How do I know? Isaiah 28.10 says, do these. It, you might not be able to do it in big chunks, but do it as little in, in little because it adds up, you see. A little bit of faith adds up. Fifth, faith has values. Faith's values endure when the parents have departed. <laughs> That's what it means to raise up a child in a way, a train a child in a way he should go. Why? Because later on he won't depart from it. The fact is, when parents, I, I tell my kids all the time, I'm teaching you this and showing this because one day I'm not going to be here. It's a fact of life. Chances are I'll go before they do. And because I have responsibility and I'm teaching them things, when I'm gone, they'll remember. It happened for me. Sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't so good. Sometimes my parents taught me how not to be. Sometimes other people taught me how not to be. And I had to use discernment what was good and what was not. But those who teach the good things and continue to train their children, when you're gone, it remains. And they'll pass it down to the next generation and the one after that. And it's a proven fact that if, if godliness is taught, eventually it, goes, it trickles down if it continues. And it can. But if you don't teach it, it'll stop right there with you. And how many people have come to Christ when they weren't raised in it? I'll bet you there's a lot more that were raised in it and walked away. Walked away because it wasn't taught properly, or the, the parents did things that they didn't teach, or who knows what. In our world today, there's a great bat battle over value. Moses could have been the king of Egypt. In fact, you can make an argument, and a good one, that Moses was in line to be the next pharaoh, but he refused it. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In essence, he refused power. He refused possessions, and he, and, he, and he refused position. Why? Because he considered. The Bible says he considered godliness chasing after the Christ more than his position. On one side were the treasures of Egypt. On the other side were the glories of Jesus. He knew that if he decided to go the way of Egypt, then he would have power Possessions, possessions and prestige. He also knew that he would have Jesus if he decided the other way. What will you do? What are you doing? He considered Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. And I have to tell you, I believe that there are families in our church today. I believe that there are families outside of our church. I think there are people in our neighborhoods. I think there are people within our own families that are choosing other things over Christ. They say they're not. They think they're not but they are. They are. And if you really think about it, friends, I'll bet you if you did a real evaluation, you are. And if you really want to know, don't decide for yourself. Come and ask me what I think. Come and ask a godly person in your church what they think. If you're raising your children on a godly value system or if you're putting prestige, prosperity, popularity, whatever, ahead of that sometimes, even sometimes. You know why you won't do it? Because you're afraid of the answer. That's why I wouldn't do it. But I think today I might. You see, what will you do? And yes, what your pastor thinks matters. 
what godly people in your church think matters. You should care. You should really care. If, if, if my pastor, my previous pastors, ever made a comment to me that maybe I wasn't as godly as I could or should be, it would devastate me. And I'd want to know. I'd want to know. I'd want to know what the godly people that helped to raise me, even as an adult, and they did. And I, I can name people in all three churches that I pastored who mentored me, even though I was the pastor. They were godly people. And I cared about what they thought because they were plugged into the Word of God, into the Holy Spirit. And they knew. And they understood. And they cared. And I care what they thought, what they said, and so should you. But a lot of times, we want to do what we're doing, so we say, oh, don't. I don't want to hear. Because I want to do what I want to do. Don't. Do what God wants you to do. That's the key. It's foolish, my friends, to try to get children to make a decision unless they have something to decide, unless we have shown them the riches in Christ. Let me explain that. First of all, uh, let's move. I'll, I'll come back to that. You have to show them something better in Christ than what they, what what they have now. I'll show you how. First of all, Moses chose what to do. He considered and he chose Jesus. I believe that most people, if they're honest about it, if they consider the riches of this life versus Christ, they will, if they're wise, they will choose Christ. Uh, some of them aren't right now, I know. But most, if they really consider, will do it. Moses refused. In order to go the way of Christ, he had to leave the way of Egypt. And so he did. He refused in order to choose. Moses was educated and skilled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. We know that from Acts 7. But Hilkabed had put something in his heart with all the teachers that all the teachers in Egypt could not take away. That's the Proverbs right there. That's the Psalms right there. She was a mother of faith. And so I began to think about that. What are our values today? And as we close this up, listen to this. We often tell our children not to do this, not to do that. But what have we given them that's better? Fair question. What have we shown them? Either what we're doing, what we're teaching, or what we're just having them observe in our lives. Because you teach them that way too, by the way. Right? And some people, my friends, would look and say, you know what? I wasn't a very good parent. I made some serious mistakes, but I wasn't walking with the Lord then. We didn't raise our family the way we should have. And so now I'm, you know, I, what do I do now? They're adults. What do I do? Well, you keep teaching. And when, they, and when they do wrong things, and they will, maybe they're even living poor lives. Maybe they, maybe they don't even like your life because you're a Christian now. I've seen that again and again. I can't even count how many times I've seen it. But that still means that you're still a Christian and you, begin, you still live a life worthy of Christ. And maybe one day they'll see that. Maybe as they get a little, a little older, maybe they'll get a little bit more experienced or maybe they'll go through a difficult time and have nowhere else to turn. Maybe God will use that experience or that situation in order to bring them to you where they'll hear a godly word from you. And to say, I told you so, is never the answer. It's to still live a godly life and not be deterred from it. Because that's what Christ would do. What are our values today? 
We often tell our children, again, don't do this, don't do that. But what if we give them this better? I bring that back to you because I want to tell you something else here. If we try to take a nasty old bone away from a dog, likely going to get bit. A nasty old bone. Throw a steak on the ground, he'll drop the bone and go for the steak. Money. Nine times out of ten, unless you had a really dumb dog. He'll leave the bone for the steak. I've seen grandchildren, even my own children, who, you know, had something that they didn't want to give up, and that, it was something they probably shouldn't play with because it could be dangerous. It could put it in their mouth, get stuck in their throat, whatever. And you try to take it from them, they'll scream and holler, and, and you, you know, you have two choices. You can just take it from them, you know, and tell, but they're not old enough to understand that. But hold on an ice cream cone or something that they really like, and all of a sudden they release their grip on what they've got, and you take it, and, they, and they're happy as a lark and forget all about it. Friends, we have to show our children Christ. It's better than what they're clutching onto. You understand? It's better than what their friends have. It's better than what society's teaching them. We have to show our children the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses said that he didn't want to leave Egypt, but he was going God's way. Moses had parents of faith. Are you a parent of faith? The only way to be a parent of faith is to first know the Savior, who is faith. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you don't, you can pray today and ask Him to come into your life. Call upon the Lord today. Repent from your sins. Turn from them and turn to Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and acknowledge Him as the Lord of your life. And be prepared to write these down real quickly. Romans 3, 23. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Romans 10, 13. Acts 16, 31, and John 3, 16. My friends, those are powerful scriptures. I know you didn't get them all. Go back and watch the video. They're there. Romans 3, 23, Romans 10, 9 to 10, Romans 10, 13, Acts 16, 31, John 3, 16. And there's more. This is Mother's Day. Honor the mother. Honor the parents. But more so... Honor the Christ. Honor your faith, your Christianity, because therein lies the difference maker. The world today needs Christ. The American family needs Christ, and the devil is fighting hard for it. And his set of value system, while it might not seem bad, is devastating. And it's the road, the Bible says, that leads to destruction. But the road with Christ leads to eternity. Choose you this day, Joshua said, whom you will serve. But as for me and my entire household, we will serve the Lord. Not might, might could, we will. It was up to him, he made the decision, so should you.